welcome to the Maritime Podcast. You are listening to Gary Howard, Europe Editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Today we have an in-focus episode, a regulatory update with Stamatis Fradlos, Vice President, Regulatory Affairs at ABS. Stamatis gives a concise overview of the upcoming regulatory developments both at the International Maritime Organization and at the European Union, from the revision of the IMO's initial greenhouse gas strategy to mid-term market-based measures, carbon intensity guidelines, and even the potential sulfur emissions control area in the Mediterranean. A timely refresher of the regulatory landscape as many of our listeners prepare for Posidonia 2022. I started by asking Stamatis to introduce himself and explain his role at ABS. I'm based in Athens, Vice President Regulatory Affairs for ABS. Our department is following up the developments on IMO and we also coordinate our activities within AGIAX and we pass the information about new regulations internally with ABS and we need to update our rules, our process instructions, our certificates and also provide information externally to our clients. A busy job, I expect, as we'll see throughout this podcast, there are plenty of regulatory updates to keep on top of. Let's start from the top with the IMO's initial greenhouse gas strategy. That was released back in 2018 and has the broad ambition of cutting annual emissions from international shipping by at least half by 2050 and reducing carbon intensity of shipping by 70% by 2050. That's due to be revised by next year, or 2023. Where are we at in that revision process and what changes are on the table? Indeed, uh, the revision process of the initial uh, GHG reduction strategy uh, started at the last MEPC 77 meeting. Uh, and discussion on the revision will continue at the subsequent meetings and to be finalized and adopted at MEPC 80 at, uh, in summer 2023. What we are currently seeing is um, an increasing support by important IMO influencers like United States and Canada. We see European Commission along with all EU member states and UK we see also in Asia, uh, Japan, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and other uh, member states uh, proposing IMO adopt zero emissions by 2050, instead of the current target that you mentioned earlier for decarbonization uh, within the century. Along with uh, strengthening the level of ambition for 2030, reducing it a little, and to introduce an additional level of ambition in the year 2040 to ascertain that the full transition to zero emission shipping is realized by 2050. Of course, this is a very important discussion since the decision will uh, affect our decarbonization efforts down the road, and we closely monitor the developments. And then in 2023, we have another deadline looming, and this time it's for the finalized short-term measures under the initial strategy. One of the candidate short-term measures is the development of draft lifecycle greenhouse gas and carbon intensity guidelines for fuels. Could you just explain the purpose of those guidelines and how those developments are progressing as well? The development of the life cycle GHG uh, carbon intensity guideline is also another uh, important topic that we carefully monitor. The guidelines aim uh, actually to incentivize uh, the uptake of low and zero carbon fuels. 
Once finalized and approved, guidelines will provide uh, both well to tank and tank to propeller GHG emission factors for all fuels that we're going to see in the future, but also for electricity used on board the ship. Although the well tank part of the emission would not be accounted in the international shipping, ship operators but charters as well, they will have enough information available in order for them to take informed decisions about the sustainability and, and the emissions uh, for this part, for the well to, to tank. What we have seen from the draft text is that the tank to propeller emission will include also the methane and nitrous oxides, equivalent CO2 emissions. And uh, the draft text uh, provides now default uh, methane slip factors for different aging types. Also important to note uh, that the carbon source factor is, is introduced when we calculate the tank to wake uh, emissions. And this factor actually determines if the CO2 emissions will be accounted. And so the source factor could be one for all fossil fuels or could be zero. So at that case, the emissions would not be accounted in terms of the tank to propeller part. And for example, this is applicable for biofuels when they are properly certified and fuels produced with carbon capsule other specific provisions, in that case, uh, the source factor could be zero. Regarding the LASAG guidelines uh, are on track and the plan is to be approved by MEPC 79 uh, in December this year. I find it quite incredible that it's advancing so quickly given how much money really is on the line and how many vested interests there are in what becomes the, the fuel of the future for shipping. There must be a lot of um, a lot of interested parties in these discussions. Yes. Sticking around the CII area, so sort of broadly we're looking at fuel consumption um, and the emissions factor of the fuels. That's over distance travelled and capacity. Beyond that, there is a corrections factor, am I right, in the, in the calculations, which I think yet to be settled on. Uh, could you explain why the correction factors are needed and again how far along we are in that process and when we can expect them to be done and dusted? This is correct about the formula and how CII is calculated. The problem, however, is that it is very challenging to rate the operational performance, you know, the efficiency of ships based on a very simple index, since there are many external parameters affecting the efficiency. For example, the speed, which uh, depends on commercial obligations or uh, the weather conditions, wave, wind, currents, or even the waiting time of the ship outside the port are parameters that influence the efficiency, the CI outcome, and of course the rating of the vessels. So, in that respect, the committee assigned the correspondents to develop Another set of guidelines is called G5 guidelines. Aim consider this aspect and to introduce correction factors. The draft text of these guidelines has already been submitted to IMO at the next MPC 78 meeting. And what we have seen now to include exclusions for voyage following other relation 3.1 of MARPOL, which is uh, actually safety issue, damage of equipment or rescue operations. We have um, consideration on uh, sailing in ice conditions, 
the connection for shuttle tankers or tankets engaged on ship-to-ship operations. So these operations may have uh, increased consumption. Uh, we have also consideration about boiler consumption for tankers, for cargo shipping or cargo discharge. We have also the introduction of correction factors for electricity spent, for example, for refrigerated uh, containers. But apart uh, these provisions included in the draft G5 guidelines, there are also several proposals that have been submitted to IMO requesting the introduction of additional correction factors. For example, we have ships against in short voyages less than three days that have increased consumption compared, for example, to a system vessel operating with long voyages due to engine transit operation, due to additional port time or, for example, maneuvering at port. We have a proposal for correction factors for adverse weather conditions or for extending timing at ports by congestion. All these proposals actually are currently under discussion at the intersectional working group G12 that is taking place this week. I think this agenda item discussed on Tuesday. And the latest information I have, the first outcome is that the group decided that more information needed, more details on the correction factors and possibly the discussion will continue through the correspondence group and possibly to be addressed by MAPC 79 in December. I think it is scheduled for December this year. That's a lot of work and a lot of factors to take into account to make sure that there's a level playing field between the various parts of the industry. Correct. I'll have to catch up with you after this GHG12 meeting, perhaps, and see what the outcomes were and get those up on the site as well so people have a look at what's been going on between this recording and the release. If you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. Now, midterm market-based measures, how do they fit into the overall picture of all of these developments? Yes, uh, actually the midterm measures have already introduced at the initial strategy with a plan to be in effect from 2023 up to 2030. Of course, as we discussed earlier, the strategy is under revision and if this progress possibly will have the acceleration of the implementation of these measures at the earliest possible. Now, currently, I think there are five or six proposals. We have seen the National Maritime Research and Development Board. This has been uh, supported by the most of ship owners associations, but also from a few flag administrations. This is based on a mandatory levy of uh, two US dollars per ton of liquid fuel, which corresponds to about 60 cents US dollars per ton of uh, equivalent CO2 emissions. And the plan is to gather about 5 billion US dollars during the lifetime of the program, which will last about 10 years, and to invest this amount on uh, research and development project for carbonization, new technologies or new fuels. We also have uh, another, uh, let's say, same concept by Mass Alliance at Solomon Islands, 
but with more aggressive version with a mandatory payment of 100 US dollars per ton of the trigger of the land by 2025 and possibly increase this uh, amount in the future. Interesting to note also is the International Maritime Sustainability Funding and Reward Mechanism. This is the alternative proposal by China, supported by other member states. This is actually, this system is designed on the basis of the CII mechanisms, where funding contributions will be collected from ships with CO2 emissions above the upper benchmark level. And this amount will uh, be used to reward the superior players. I mean, uh, these ships that will be found in categories A and B and also research and development and possibly supporting the developing countries. Uh, we have also the famous proposal by Japan, which is the zero emission uh, vessel incentive scheme, where revenue raised by carbon levy on ships using fossil fuels will be used as a rebate to incentivize the uptake of zero emission fuels. A levy rate, I think less than 100 US dollars, as per the study we have seen there, it is considered that will be sufficient enough to provide incentives, at least in the initial period, for the uptake of uh, zero emission ships. From Europe, we have also the emission cap trading system, which is proposed uh, by Norway. Once established, we'll have a cap on emission, which would ensure annual reduction of emissions according to the IMO strategy. The annual cap will determine the total amount of, it is called, ship emission units, uh, which will be available to, to ships. And the surrendering of these uh, ship emission units will uh, result in substantial revenues. But still, there is not a decision about how they are going to use this uh, revenue. This is something to be decided. And we have uh, the GHG fuel standard. Uh, this is the European Commission proposal supported by the EU member states. This is a technical, actually, goal-based measure, which would require all ships above a certain size to use fuels which have a weight weight, so this considers also the weight tank part. The total intensity, the weight propeller, uh, should be below a certain limit, which, of course, over the years, this limit uh, will become lower and lower. These market-based measures are also under discussion on the GFG, the intersection agroki group 12 that is taking place this week. Actually, it has been discussed yesterday and, and today. And it seems that the group was not able to agree on the measures, but they agreed that the measures are necessary and needed. So there will be further discussions and negotiation to see what will be the actual measures that will be adopted. And possibly we are going to see a combination of measures, not just one. That's a lot of options on the table and a lot of different potential market impacts, both intentional and, and unintentional to cover. Now, we've focused so far on the IMO and hopefully listeners will get an idea that there is a lot going on behind the scenes that perhaps doesn't make it through to the to the front pages. But one concern that we often hear when we're talking about regulation is around the level playing field 
and avoiding regional rules in what is often a global industry. Any of our own opinions aside on that, the EU is moving forward with its Fit for 55 package. Um, I believe there was progress on this just this week or maybe last week and its emissions trading scheme. What's the likely impact of that ETS when it comes to shipping? Indeed, there was a progress on this, uh, both the ETS and the EU fuel maritime regulation are subject to negotiations in Brussels this period. Let's start with the EU ETS. Actually, a revision of the directive has been discussed and it was for vote two days ago by the European Parliament's ENVI committee. And the ENVI committee actually agreed on some amendments on the draft text. Actually, what I have seen uh, is uh, they agreed to introduce methane and nitrous oxide uh, emissions in addition to CO2, like the life cycle guidelines we discussed earlier. They also agreed to introduce uh, ETS uh, in shipping uh, from 2024 without the gradual phasing period that we have seen in the initial text and also to implement the measure from 2027 to smaller ships, those ships with cross tonnage between uh, 400 and to 5,000. They have also introduced the Ocean Fund, where revenues generated by shipping allowances will be used for the energy transition of the maritime sector. And there was also an important uh, amendment to cover 100% of all voyages from 1st January 2027. Until December 2026, only 50% of the extra EU voyages will be covered. This is an important uh, development. What is planned for the future is that the Parliament uh, expected to vote uh, the agreed text in early June. And of course, then we will have the trialogues uh, that will start between the Parliament, the Council and the Commission, possibly during or after this summer. And re- regarding the impact, once this has finalized and implemented operations, operators will charterers, because there is also provision for charterers, to face a volatile, let's say, compliant cost based on fluctuated carbon price, which recently reached almost 100 euros per ton of CO2. Then the price uh, fell down to around 60 euros due to the war in Ukraine. And now, recently, we have seen this uh, quickly recover to around 85 euros per ton of CO2. You mentioned about the Ocean Fund and the revenues. I think it was 75% of the revenues being reinvested for technologies and decarbonisation. Correct. Now, the other EU proposal that we're going to discuss is the Fuel EU Maritime Proposal, which I think is one of five proposals. Could you outline the Fuel EU Proposal, which I think was only put forward quite recently? And then again, the implications of that for the sector. Actually, the EU fuel maritime regulation is similar uh, with the GFS we mentioned earlier, the proposal from Norway, where they consider the well to tank emissions and then they, they, they set some limits which over the years will go lower and lower. So the, the ships will need to use low carbon fuels uh, and gradually. Uh, uh, aim to use zero carbon fuels. 
this is also at the, I mean, the, the regulation, this is a new regulation. It's not uh, like the previous one, which is a revision in the directive. Uh, this regulation now, the draft, draft text is under, let's say, continuous debate by the European Parliament Tram Committee. There are numerous amendments tabled to the proposed text. The most important discussions include to lower the ship size threshold from 5,000 GT to 400 GT. There are also proposals to double the intensity reduction targets, especially for the first period, and also to extend the scope to 100% of the extra EU voyages, because currently only the 50%, according to the draft text, will be carried. So there, the plan uh, going forward is that the Trump committee will continue the work through the amendments table with their vote schedule. Uh, it was, I uh, think, uh, beginning of July, and then we will have the primary plenary discussion in September. However, we see already that operations have started calculating the compliance cost and also considering what will be the fuel consumption compliance options down the road. What we have seen using the draft default values that included into the, the regulation, LPG, but also LNG burned, but imagine with low methane slip, seems to be compliant options for at least many years down the road. That'll be good news for those shipping companies already backing LNG as a sort of transitional fuel on their plan going forward. Again, hopefully listeners get the idea that, I mean, even over the next couple of months, but certainly ahead of MEPC 80, there are going to be a lot of developments in the decarbonisation space when it comes to regulation, and a lot of things to keep an eye on. Just moving slightly away from decarbonisation, we've been pretty focused on greenhouse gas emissions, and the global sulfur rules feel like a long time ago, IMO 2020, but I think the Mediterranean emissions control area has had some progress recently. Perhaps could you give the listeners a bit of a refresh on the impact of a SOX ECA compared to the sort of global limits and the progress of that making its way into force? Yes, indeed. This goes, uh, let's say, the, the designation of Mediterranean Sea as sulfur oxide ECA emission control area has started uh, many years ago, and there were concerns expressed about the need to control and to reduce emissions, SOX emissions, and particular matters from ships operated in, in this area. But very recently, we have seen uh, the submission at MAPC 78 with a proposal of uh, MET SOX ECA to take effect from uh, January 1st, uh, 2025, setting the sulfur content, of course, uh, not exceeding 0.1% by mass. So, the plan now is uh, these proposed amendments in Marple to be approved by MFC 78 beginning of January and then these amendments to be adopted at the next MFC 79 in December this year and take effect from 1st January 2025. 
we have covered a lot of regulations in a short amount of time, but I think this will serve as a really good reminder for anyone who's perhaps concerned that they've let any slip by or weren't sure about what the upcoming deadlines are of uh, the regulatory progress we can see over the, the next year or so. So, Stomatis, thanks so much for your time and for appearing on the Maritime Podcast. Thank you.